Stop Dragons Gaming Podcast. We eat sandwiches and play games. Say Stop Dragons Gaming Podcast. The podcast for everyone's day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Taste of Dragons, the Toddcast, the video game podcast that all you goofy people listen to. This week, the man's raven lost all the mists and ghosts. The news is a snap. Our topic is all about our individual preferences. And our dragon this week is more important than you realize, Sierra Online co-founder, Roberta Williams. And as always, my name is Brian. My name is Troy. I'm Amanda. I'm Hassel. And I'm Joe. Hey, guys. If you guys woke up in the Kingdom Hearts game, oh, what no. Disney characters would you want as your sidekicks? Oh, boy. So in the main game, you have Goofy and Donald. Who would you like to have? Powerline. <laughs> Powerline. Power I like it. Yeah, movie? I would have the dopest soundtrack everywhere I went. You would. <laughs> and I'm, I'm secretly amazing. convinced that Powerline is also a superhero. Bingo. Like, definitely has some type of powers. <laughs> I'm going to say Tarzan's dad. One, because nope. he's very attractive. And two, uh, because of his mustache. And three, because he built that entire house and a jungle. Like, like they're shipwrecked, and he, like, made the most of it. <laughs> And I don't need That's anybody else. I have a follow-up question to this. Are we using <laughs> okay. pre-Marvel acquisition Disney, or is it just like I, Disney right now? I, I would say for simplicity, I, I would lean more towards like classic Disney instead classic of- Classic uh, Disney. The, gotcha. Yeah. The Star Wars um, in Marvel Universe. But I mean, also, let your heart sing. Exactly. I feel like it would be a mixture of like just regular Tarzan or like Aladdin. Okay. Those are the two characters that I was just like- I could be best friends with those guys. But then I start thinking about it and I'm like, ooh, Tarzan hasn't been around civilization in a while. He's probably just going to like beat me up because he thinks hey, that I'm the, a threat. In the middle of that movie, he wears a suit. So, I <laughs> That's mean. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. And I mean, anybody that looks like, uh, what's his name? Claymore? Clayton? Clayton. Clayton. Oh, Clayton. Claymore is a mine. <laughs> Whoa. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Got a lot of Metal Gear Solid in the brain. I really stepped on that one. Claymore is also a sword. Oh, yeah. There you go. Look at us. Yeah. We know our it's weapons. It's also a dope anime and a manga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think as my um, you know, as my, my best friend, I, I would have Javar. He's just really trustworthy. He talks to me every day. He tells me everything is fine. So obviously, I think Javar is just, uh, there's no other choice. He tells me that all the time. <laughs> I like it. I like it. For myself, I'd like to wake up and uh, Figment's there. Oh, my Aww. God. The dragon. Figment. That annoying dragon. Yeah. Oh. You realize that song's going to play on loop forever, though, because this is a Kingdom Hearts game. Right. It's true. I mean, hey, you got you to gotta give up sacrifices, you know? It is what it is. <laughs> I, I take is... Captain EO before I take Figment. <laughs> oh, not me. Uh, <laughs> now, do you, is Figment the type of dragon that will like, hey, hop on, we're going to go for a fly? Or is Figment like, hey, is, is it not necessarily a flying dragon? I'm not too familiar with Figment. I'm sorry. A figment? No, he's just a figment of your imagination. He actually doesn't even exist. Oh. He's just going to wake up, and you're, he's just not even going to be there to everybody else. So, oh. so the answer to your questions oh, are wow. yes and also no. Mm, Correct. Gotcha. <laughs> I can internalize that. Thank uh, you. Figment <laughs> is a metaphor for insanity. So okay, okay. In a way, okay. Brian is like, oh, I'm just going to be insane and set up a Kingdom Hearts exactly. game. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Free. If I'm in a Kingdom Hearts game, I absolutely would be. <laughs> Uh, but you know, let's get into our games this week. What are you playing? And this week, you know what, Troy? Would you like to start us off? I took a trip down memory lane, y'all. I decided to bust out Age of Mythology, the 
Extended Edition. Now, I decided to get into this because I was actually listening to a, a friend of the podcast. I forgot I own that pod. And they actually were talking about it on their podcast. And as uh, they were talking, I had like this latent memory. Um, I was like, this all sounds really familiar. And the more they, they talked about it, I was like, I I played this game. I used to play it. I, I've been, I, I have these memories. And they weren't just memories of playing the game, but I remembered that this was the first game I had on my very first laptop, which is a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was my mom's laptop that she, like, hand me down. <laughs> but still, this was the game that I probably got real cheap at, like, a Walmart, like, bargain bin or something. I don't know. But uh, I picked it up, and I remember just being enthralled. I had not really played... Oh, wait, I had played an RTS before. I played Red Alert, and and I saw it was that type, but it was so different because Age of Mythology is a real-time simulator game where you are put in the world, and you have to get resources of gold and wood, and, and you have to farm, and then you, you build your population to essentially the goal is to either build an army so you could take over another nation or build like a wonder of the world so you could you could um, win, like a techno- win with a technological advance. Um, but what this game is really bringing me, it's a slow pace, chill game. And y'all, I just got back from a vacation. We were down in the keys. I was sitting by a dock reading invincible. (laughs) And so when I got back, I wanted something that was just going to be just easy breezy. And I I downloaded it (laughs) and just, uh, and started playing and um, yeah, it's just such good vibes. Man, you got to hop in for a little bit too, right? I did. Uh, fun fun story is uh, Troy started to play this game and I was like, oh, I played that game. Like, I really enjoyed it. I remember this mechanic and that mechanic. And then Troy was done playing for the night. He had to go do something. So I was like, I'm going to jump in and play a game. And uh, I didn't realize until way into playing that game that I did not, in fact, play Age of Mythology. <laughs> I played Age of Empires. Which is like very similar, so you like I can see why I was confused, but I was like, God, I thought I played as the English. The English aren't even an option. It must have been a while ago. I must have been real young. Uh, but no, yeah. no, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool about this game is that like instead of it being like, oh, the king or queen of England is your commander, it's no, it's like Zeus or Anubis, yeah. <laughs> and they are giving you god powers. Like I can raise a centaur or a titan. Just today, I was playing as the Greeks. And I raised a, a a titan giant that was literally like Cerebus, but with the Hulk's body. Also, uh, Vikings are very unfashioned right now, and you mm-hmm. can play as the Norse gods. Nice. Vikings, Egyptians, yeah. Greeks, Atlanteans, and they added a new class, which was uh, Ancient China. Cool. With their mythology, nice. which is pretty oh, awesome. dope. That one's just called Dragons. <laughs> so you're having fun with the game, though? It is fun, but in, in a really low-key way. Like, I lost today, but I, it wasn't even, like, I'm not even playing to win. I just like slowly <laughs> telling these little minions to go do a thing. And they're like, hold up. Just hearing their little gibberish. It's probably language. It's not just. Wow. Not just, yeah. You want to you take that back? <laughs> well, no, I said that because I'm used to the Sims and the Sims do talk gibberish. Mm-hmm. But no, they're, yeah. they're talking real languages. Yeah, actual Greek. They're speaking Greek. Or, or uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's ancient Egyptian. Probably just modern day Egyptian, but 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 maybe. Yeah. Oh, it would depend on their level of research, I guess. That would be a good thing to Google. Yeah. That'd be cool. But super fun, super chill, having a great time with it. We'll play more. And that game came out, gosh, in two thousand two. So it's an old game. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot how old that game was. Oh god. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was Age of Mythology. And what about you, man? What did you play this week? This week I played Lost Words Beyond the Page, which is a brand new indie game that just came out. You play as a girl who is both writing her first book in a journal, and also like you play in the fantasy world that she's writing about. You are the same character in both of them, um, although she has like more mystical clothing in one and then she just looks like a, a regular little girl in the other one. Um, and it's neat because it's like a choose your own adventure. Words appear on her journal page and you can move them around. You can jump on top of the words to platform. And then also you can use the words to kind of decide how the story moves forward. So it'll be like there was a girl in the story and her dress was and there'll be like a blank and then you have to choose the color of her dress and basically what you choose, the game changes. Whoa, Um, my mind. It's a lot of fun. Um, It's definitely one of those games that's very heartfelt because what's happening in her life is affecting what's happening in the story. Um, And probably the best part about it is um, we talked about the writer of this game, uh, Rihanna Pratchett. Joe did that dragon um, a few weeks ago. And knowing that her dad was an author and this game is about a girl being taught to write Mm. by someone in her family, like and the whole premise of the game being like write about what you know, having her background and playing the game just makes the game feel so much fuller. It's it's. It's a perfect game so far. Got that sweet, sweet context. Yeah, it's it's so adorable. And it's absolutely the game that I would have loved to play as a kid. This would I wanted to be a writer when I was growing up, and this girl wanted to be a writer. So if I had found this game in middle school, I would have just lost my (laughs) mind. It's still very good. But like young Manda inside of me is like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Just raging in pure joy. So one, I'm going to play this. And then two, I'm probably going to buy this for my nieces. Um, It's great because it's got a female protagonist. And then like uh, the story is really wonderful. And all of like the choose your own adventure. Oh, the best part of the choose your own adventure aspect is not only do you change like visual things like the color of her dress, but you can also change more important things like what that girl is interested in. So like I liked books when I was growing up. So then though like her favorite thing was and then she had like a few options. I chose books. But then there was also like having fun and there was also like being more brave or being more sporty. So if you wow. were a different type of girl, you would still feel that the story was about like you and your preferences, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Is to make have that level of personalization in the game that you're mm-hmm. playing. Oh, that's cool. It's awesome. Very cool. What, what was the name of the game again? Lost Words Beyond the Page. Awesome. All right. And then, uh, you know, I'll go next. Uh, the game I played this week, it's a stream-only game. It's called Ravenfall. I know this one. And I've been playing it on our friend uh, D-Bill's stream. Uh, he's been streaming this game. And basically, you just interact with this game in chat. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. You just you just said, I want to train uh, uh, swords. Yeah. Or, you know, I want to train attack, I should say. And then... Your character just goes out and starts hitting things. It's <laughs> it's almost like a text-based RPG adventure, but you get to see what you type. Yes. Yeah, and you can craft stuff, you can uh you can get upgraded armor inside of it. It's kind of like it's 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 definitely an idle game, so you just let it do its thing. You don't have to interact with it too much. Uh but it's very fun. So I do have a question about this. What role does the streamer play in this? Like D-Bells, like is he a character on the board like on the game itself? And or is he just kind of like controlling the camera and showing you what your character is doing? He's also in the game, so he's a, he's a fellow character like you. So he's just doing that, but he does have the option to control what you're looking at. 
Uh, he has the option of starting like a raid, so he can spawn a really high boss that everybody in the in chat can join in on and mm-hmm. attack. Um, he can start a dungeon. Um, he can do a couple of different things that you can only do as a streamer. But for the most part, he is just like a, a character just like you. Gotcha. Uh, he's just the one like hosting the game. And it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, especially just, you know, you invest like five or ten minutes a day in it. You know, you go into chat, type with everybody, see what everybody, everybody else is doing. And, and it, it's it's fun. It, it, it's a game I didn't think I was going to enjoy, but it, it actually is a lot of fun. And Troy, I saw you, you were playing it as well, right? Yeah, no lie. I probably went into his uh, stream three times and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I was like, why is someone talking? What's this game? Is, is it playing it? And then everyone's doing commands in the chat. I'm like, everyone's talking weird. <laughs> Lots of exclamation points going on. And even even when uh, I was guided through it of like what I was doing, I still didn't really understand it until I found like the controls. And then I was like, oh my gosh, the chat can play through the stream. That's brilliant. And mm-hmm. D-Bills is smart. He just has it up like almost 24-7. It's just, it's almost like he made a game for us to just pop in and play when we want. Which is absolutely exactly. amazing. I like yeah. the I like the whole premise because this this ver- sim- seems very familiar. Like D-Bills might be like the dungeon master and he is hosting a game <laughs> for all of the characters that are around <laughs> the game. So it feels very Dungeons and Dragons-y to me. And I love that. Yeah, it's it's a very simplistic game, and it's it's a lot of fun. So yeah, that was my game, Ravenfall. Uh, look it up. You can join different people's streams in order to play it. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, so that was me. And what about you, Joe? What did you play this week? I played Pac-Man 99, and it's amazing. Woo! Waka, waka. Waka, waka, bunch of curse words. It's <laughs> amazing. Like... I thought Tetris 99 was super fun. I thought Mario 35 was super fun. And I loved, I mean, like, I liked them a lot. But Pac-Man is my jam, y'all. And, oh, my God, it's amazing. Like, okay, so imagine you are playing Pac-Man versus 99 other people. Last week I explained it, but I didn't explain it well enough. There's a board, and it is a randomized board. Sometimes it will have four power pills only. Sometimes it will have three areas that are filled. Sometimes it only have one area that's filled. But it always has four ghosts, and much like Pac-Man Championship Edition, there are ten ghosts on each side that are ones that you can bite, and they create a train on one of the other ghosts. So ultimately, the way you play the game is however you want to. So I'm a spaz. I like to clear the whole board before I move on and grab the fruit. But the fruit will pop up usually after you've cleared about half the board. The way you attack other people is just like Tetris 99 and just like Mario 35. You choose what kind of player you want to be, whether you want to attack the people that are attacking you, whether you want to attack randomly, whether you want to just counter. So I leave mine on random or counter all the time because I don't care about attacking other people at all. Uh I don't in any way know how to I don't I don't strategize. I literally just want to clear the board, eat as many ghosts as possible. And as long as you keep the power pills going, it combos your every single ghost you eat. Uh, Some of the things that people can do while they are playing, they're doing the same thing and they can send little red pack ghosts onto your screen that are insta death if they touch you and they can spawn on top of you which I, I find very maddening. Um, <laughs> they, they, can, in, they can spawn pack ghosts that shut down your, your speed. So as you're eating all the power pills and as you're eating all the ghosts, your speed goes up and everything gets faster. And it can slow you down to the point where you are barely moving so that ghosts can just attack the living daylights out of you. It is awesome. The game is amazing. I really love it. And for just being part of the Nintendo Switch Online thing, it's great that it's a free game. I have a rule. I will only play each day until I, I get to number one slot. It took me about 
13 games to get to the number one slot in the first day I played. And then the next day it took me about 10. And so I either die immediately or I'm in the top like seven whenever I play. But however, like I said, I have a rule to stop myself from playing all night long. If I get the number one slot, then I stop playing for the day, which I have done every day this week. And it's awesome. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nice. Humble flex there. Hello. Hello. <laughs> all right, no, no, Pac-Man. No, I see you. It's not a humble flex. <laughs> I don't care so much that I don't even realize I've won because I think I died. And then it's like, you got number one. Because I don't know. Sometimes they just a... spawn the weird crap right around you. So I'm like, did I just die? Did I just... What the hell? Oh. You're, 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 oh, man. No, I can't play anymore. You're fighting to survive like, <laughs> a, like the classic Battle Royale games yeah. and what I find for people who, who do reach that number one spot is you just focus on surviving and nothing else. And then when you do, yeah, you have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, what? Wait, wait, it's over? <laughs> yeah, the first time it happened, I was confused. I would just like to say, as someone who is not very good at Pac-Man and has never yeah. been good at Pac-Man, the entirety of the explanation on how this works was very anxiety-inducing. Because <laughs> I'm like, I want to try it out now that I'm older. And I'm like, man... Maybe I've gotten better. Hassel breaks ooh. into cold sweats. <laughs> You're like, waka, waka, mother waka. <laughs> you, you, you start seeing Pac-Man in your nightmares. Just try regular Pac-Man. Don't try this. Don't try this. <laughs> no, man, okay, try it. Don't do this. This one's Great. free. I don't think it's going to be fun at first. Can you trash talk the other Pac-Man players? No. no. Dang. Yeah. Right, it's still a Nintendo game. You, it's on Nintendo no, Switch no, Online. You can so. definitely trash talk them. They won't hear you, mm-hmm. but you can say yes, whatever you'd okay. like. Mm-hmm. It improves your play. It doesn't decrease their play. All right. So that was Pac-Man 99. And then finally, Hassel, what did you play this week? Guys, I'm still in the middle of my journey across the island of Tsushima. It's uh, It's been intense. I'm about 24 mm-hmm. hours in to the new campaign. Mm-hmm. And man, like, I, again, starting to feel overwhelmed with how little of the map I've unlocked. Don't do a haiku. Through. If you start feeling overwhelmed, find a haiku spot on your map, and it'll just reset everything. Or take it'll a bath. Cool. Or take a nice bath. Yeah. Hot spring? It, I've been yeah. finding the, the hot springs, and I'm like, oh, what am I going to reflect upon? And just reflecting on different <laughs> things there. And I'm like, okay, now I feel a little better. I'm reflecting on my anxiety about finishing this game. Yeah. So video games are becoming more and more prevalent. I've been seeing more video game advertisements and, and more video games in places where you wouldn't normally see video games. How long before they have the Ghost of Tsushima vacation package where it's just haikus and hot springs? Ooh. You go horseback riding. Man. There's some monkeys. Wait, I get I'm to so do this in real that. life? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so oh, there for that. Heck yeah. The first thing I will say, once I picked it back up, and yesterday, you know, after after getting my second COVID shot, I, I kind of like sat down on the couch. I was like, okay, I'm going to get a couple more hours of this. And then at some point, I turned to Jambib, who's on the couch with me, and I'm like, do, do you want to go to Tsushima at some point? Like, in <laughs> like do, do we, we want to go visit? And then like, we've been talking about potentially going to Japan. And then she's like, I, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, great. But yeah, it's been it's been so fantastic. I'm getting into the story a little more. I forgot how brutal this game was. Just like just the fighting style and everything and like how like if you're fighting and you go directly into a cutscene, like all of the blood splatter still like on your like clothing and everything like that. It's so good. I'm, yeah, it's a crispy yeah. game. Yeah, it's such a good game. I, uh, I I really do hope that the film that they're making does it justice. Um, oh, it's got to. It's, it's got, got to. to. Yeah. They don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do have a question for you guys. Yeah. yeah. The infamous horse scene. 
oh, how many spoilers? <laughs> how many hours am I am I looking before that? There's no way to tell you because we each played it differently. Mine was like eighty plus hours in because I wouldn't move on from the uh, pieces of the island without opening every part of it up. Got it. So, okay. Like, I have no and idea. I did okay. like a little bit of a balance thing where I did some side things and some um, uh, story element things. And then when I was like almost done with the game, I went back and then thoroughly found everything. Got it. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Just yeah. let let your heart, let your sword be your guide. I was going to say heart, but now I'm going to say sword. Just yeah. <laughs> stick the sword out. Tell, let it tell you where to go. Yeah. Let, let the sword of Clan Sakai follow you through. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I got it. Cool. Hey. All right. And that was Ghost of Tsushima. And now that brings us to our news segment. Nose, 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 nose. And this week, we're going to start off with some fun news. As the Japanese convenience store Lawson is going to be offering a unique service at the end of the month. That service is to print out photos of snaps you have made in the new Pokemon Snap game. Oh, that's so yeah. precious. Yeah, the store is actually going to have a special website that you can go to and upload your photos and have them printed on either photo or sticker paper to pick <gasps> up at your, at your local store. You stickers? <laughs> I love this. What? It's, it's great. And the, the fact that you can have it printed on sticker paper as well, so you can like put it on your laptop or whatever you want to put it on, what is like, amazing. Do we know if it's going to be like a judgment-free zone? Because like, I don't need them to get at my camera in, my camera insecurities. I don't <laughs> need them to be... <laughs> They're like, you're really far away from this Raichu. This is the one you want to print? Ooh, you want to develop these? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're so confident. Oh. <laughs> oh, you thought Poplio needed a picture. Okay, nice. Oh, Ooh, really? Interesting, interesting. Mm. I can't wait in until they come out with like the advertisements saying shot on iPhone <laughs> in the Pokemon universe. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so this is the thing, right? So now my future plans are I go to Japan, I visit Tsushima, yep. and yep. I go to a Lawson's just to get my Pokey pictures. Get get yes. three hundred and fifty pictures yeah. of Snorlax <laughs> downloaded at once. I thought you said it was a judgment free zone, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> it may be, but not me. <laughs> what if I was working? Are you there? trying to say that Jembeep has to play the flute to wake you up every day? Is that what you're saying? I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. <laughs> better than the chanter. Ah, bagpipe joke. And then speaking of Nintendo, their Nintendo Indie World was this week, and Joe has all the news on it. Yes, uh, Nintendo had an Indie World showcase uh, just this past week. I'm just going to tell you guys about a, a handful of them that I thought were really cool. There was a 3D platformer that looked really, really cool called Fez, and it came out that day. It was really dope. It was all color on color, very like uh, creature in the world meets Samurai Jack climbing up a tower. It was insane. Wait a second. It was really it's cool looking. It's called Fez, but it's not that Fez, like that, that big it's, indie it's game. It's the Fez from... you're thinking of. It, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is the Fez I'm thinking of. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yes, finally okay, okay. releasing on Switch. Right, it came out on the Switch. Ah, I believe it was already out on Steam. Yeah, yeah Steam, that, PlayStation, a couple of them. That is considered yeah, so one of the- so it came like... out on the Switch, uh, dropped that day. That's and great. And then there was another one called There Is No Game. And it was a game of mini games yes. that looked like half WarioWare, half Mario Party, like insanity. Yes. I've heard so much buzz about that game from last year. It's one of my great sorrows that I missed it. I heard about it like late December. Everyone's like, this game, this game, this game. And I was like, where did it come from? No, where do I find it? 
Uh, that's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That one dropped on the Switch. Uh, and then there was a few others that I thought were just really cool looking games. They did have a very long list of them that came out. There was a, a sizzle reel at the end that had like another 10 games on it. Um, but here's a few that I thought were really, really cool looking. Getsu Fumadin, which looked like a a hardcore Oni roguelike, like where you're playing like a, a samurai looking dude and you're fighting through what looked like watercolor bad guys of like Oni and demons and yokai. So it looked really, really cool. Dragons with like 10 heads and stuff. It looked dope. So in other words, so. a game made just for Joe, like specifically <laughs> tailor yes. made. Yeah, that is why yes. that one goes first. That's the Joe That's game. Correct. It said during the conference, this one is for Joe Mini. And then it like, showed, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they pointed yep, at the I, camera. I, I felt it. I felt it. They quickly moved past it because I guess because it was a roguelite and people aren't really about that life sometimes, <laughs> but it was dope looking. <laughs> there was, of course, like the fun ones like the TMNT Shredder's Revenge <gasps> that has been kind of teased forever now. It looks great. It's not shocking. Uh, Skull the Hero Slayer also has been teased for a while. It was really, really cool looking. Uh, Skull was actually really fun because the developer explained it would be really fun to play a game as the person that the hero was always trying to hurt. So he made the game about the skull that the hero kills in the beginning and then they, the skull goes through the game trying to like not even get back at the hero but go through the same levels it's super cute <laughs> it has like a, a full weapon system also uh, I think it's roguelike but I'm not positive because it's it sounded, a roguelike it was yeah. okay it sounded more like Hades where it would let you keep some of the weapons and stuff so I wasn't sure it's like a half and half it's kind of yeah. like a dead cells if you've ever played okay. a dead cells cool 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 and then um, there was one that I thought was really really interesting called The Longing I have I don't understand what this game is about, but you play like a little cute little blob that looks, it's called a shade. I played it. And it, it's, it looks really cool, but it's, ti- you're tiny and the world is huge and it's, it takes 400 days, I yeah. guess, straight yeah, to actually that, play. That's yeah. a game where you're pretty much the snooze button. You're like the alarm clock for this king of the yeah. mountain. 400 like, real days. I don't days. know what was going on. But it was so cute. The entire novel of Moby Dick is in that game. Uh-huh. You can just sit yeah. in the game and read it. It's all about what? trying to pass time. It's yes. fascinating. It's fascinating. It's mm-hmm. it's an experiment in, in and of itself. Oh, yeah. my goodness. All right. I'm out now. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Ishmael is where I draw the line. You can call him his name and then I'm out. You don't have to um, read the book. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a fun game, Ali Ali World, that looked like a fun platformer runner kind of mm. game that had multiple different like chill paths and actual hard paths. And it was like a little skateboard game. It looked pretty dope. There was a couple really beautiful looking games like Last Stop and Hindsight. They were just really pretty. I have no idea. Both of them look kind of scary. I don't know what's going on in those games, but you could play multiple paths in the game or multiple characters in the game. And those characters had different paths that they took to meet other characters. And both games looked very, very good. There's a whole pile of other ones. Like, really, go give that Indie indie World Showcase a, a look. It's pretty darn great. They ended it with a really weird, creepy looking game called Lost Signals, where it looks like you have to use a compass to triangulate sound so that you can get the signal from different items islands or different parts of the island and then the the signals themselves would cut trees and stuff it looked scary so i was very excited about it did they showcase dark side detective they did not oh they, they were talking about yeah. it on twitter i didn't know if they'd make the cut i don't understand what nintendo why they were showing us some of the <laughs> games they were showing us but they looked awesome yeah <laughs> all right thank you joe for the uh for the nintendo indie world news and now into modding news a trailer for a new fan-made quest for the witcher 3 came out and people were wondering if Doug Cockle, uh, Geralt's voice actor, had lent his voice to the game as it sounded pretty darn spot on. And it turns out, no, he didn't. The team behind the mod used an AI program called CyberVoice to make the voice sound like him. Um, it's kind of like a deep fake, but for voices instead of pictures or video. Okay. It's very interesting because 
it makes it like I wonder like what kind of legal time bomb this is. Like, can you just use anybody's voices for your for your mod? Are you going to get C and D for this? Because I mean, yeah. it is technically his voice, but it isn't. It, it, it it's very interesting. I think I think there that de- it definitely draws the line and is just like okay, you are using someone's likeness uh, without their consent. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It definitely is reminiscent of like the Back to the Future controversy of them trying to make an actor look like another actor, which is just like, can you do that likeness? Or the Grand Moth Tarkin from the new Star Wars film, which is just like, yeah. he uh, he passed away, but they, they still wanted that actor. So they, they I was like, but does like his estate get money? I feel like these are definitely conversations we're going to be hearing in the future is like, especially because you can do deep fake images and deep fake voice. So you could create an entire person. So does yep. their estate get that if it looks enough like them? Or are you going to like tweak it so that it's like Geralt, <laughs> but just like every A is like more round or something so that it, you don't have to pay? Yeah. Also, how long before Brian replaces all of us with AIs for the podcast? Oh, yes, That's Hassel. That's a uh, great question how, there, Hassel. How long uh, yeah. until that occurs? I totally haven't done Hassel. it already. Uh. <laughs> that is a good question. What a time to be alive, y'all. What a time. <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> and then finally, streamer Ludwig, uh, the person who was doing that stream I talked about, I think like two or three weeks ago, where every single time he got a, a sub, he added 10 seconds onto his clock, um, has finally come to a close. The stream is finally done uh, after 31 days. Gosh. And the reason it didn't go on for longer is because he himself shut it down. He's like, no, we're not adding any more time. It's going to end at 31 days. This is what it's going to be. And with that coming to a close, he also shattered the all-time sub record for a single month, which was previously held by Ninja. Ninja. The previous record was 269,154 subs in one month. As of, I think, the end of his stream, he got over 280,000. Wow. Brian, when I read this article and I saw that it was 31 days and then I remembered you breaking this news of, and he was mm-hmm. maybe like five days into it and I was like, that was that long ago? There's been like <laughs> yeah. the Suez ch- uh, channel thing and like all these things have happened in the world. I'm like, he's been streaming this whole time? Yeah. I, I went and I watched the last five minutes of his uh, VOD and it was actually pretty remarkable of how he was just talking about like what this event in his life has done to him. He's like, this will never happen again, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're here, you know, everyone's putting in, I was here, I was here in the chat. It's like, because it'll never happen again. Thank you so much. He talked about the charities he was working for and it was kind of sweet. He like saluted and like started tearing up just because it was coming to a close. I mean, 31 straight days live on camera, pretty much. It like is... yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. He looked really tired. It was. So tired. Did he he record himself while he slept? Yes. So he recorded himself while he slept. um, And then his mods and then people in chat would like host other things. Like they would do other things while he slept to keep like everything going. Normally it would just go dark. You wouldn't see him. But one time he did fall asleep on camera with the lights on. And he said it was what he actually got the most viewers for some reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, the most activity. That's, He's like, I'm not going to think too much about this. <laughs> Big ups to him, man. Yeah, and then that very last day, he said that for every sub that he got, he would donate $5 to charity. And the reason why he was doing that is because he wanted to beat Ninja's record. 
Uh, he, he hadn't beaten it until that very last day. Uh, and he said after all was said and done, he gave around $350,000 to charity. Or wow. is going wow. to be donated to charity. Whew. So good on him. And good, good on, on good on his friends and family around him because that's that's a thing yes. that impacts literally everyone you you live with. <laughs> oh, it did. Oh, I think one of the streams as it came to a close. I think I think that was either the final day or one of the final days. Uh, he slept on like a racing car bed. That mm-hmm. was his actual bed. And uh, that last day, him and his friends came over and they they broke down the bed like they dismantled it. <laughs> good friends. Good friends. <laughs> hey, you got You got to you got to fill the time somehow, right? <laughs> And uh, yeah, that will do it for our news this week. However, that brings us to our Mighty Morsel Tasty Topic. Mighty Morsel Tasty Topic. And this week is going to be brought to us by Manda. So when a video game comes out and it's a triple A game, then normally we get a marketing announcement, we get like a pre-release date, we get a full release date, we get a delay, and then we get the video game. So we know it's coming down the pipeline and we're very, very prepared for it. We see little videos uh, and we know exactly whether we're going to buy it or not buy it. But when it comes to indie development, Mm. uh, the cycle isn't quite the same. Usually you'll see a picture of it on Twitter or uh, you'll be browsing through either the Steam or the Switch store and you'll come upon uh, an image. We figured we'd talk this week about what it is about an indie game that makes you want to buy it. What's that thing when you're scrolling through, you see it, you go, that is the indie game for me. Um, for myself, as the example, I really enjoy cute art or beautiful art or interesting art and magic. If you put magic in a video game and it looks cute and or beautiful, then I'm going to buy it. Uh, it, it. A thousand percent is going to go into my library. And if, you, and if you follow our Twitter account, I've just basically given away the secret sauce to, to which games uh, I will read. Magic, also, cute, yeah. cute magic. <laughs> but what about you guys? What is it about an indie game that kind of draws you in? Uh, why don't we start with you, Brian? Okay. Uh, for myself, uh, it actually happens to be, uh, if it's like an indie, like a solo developer, like less than five people, uh. I get really like invested in that because it's they're also heavily invested in that that's like a person that's just like it's either their passion project or they're like you know what i took some time off of work and i, I wanted to do this or whatever you know it's, it's one of those types of things and i'm a little bit more invested that way and if it happens to do with any of my like normal interests like a stardew valley or a harvest moon or one of those types of things i'm in i like you got my money here it is and these last several years i've actually been a lot more proactive about looking for my indie games before i would just like I would see one. I'd be like, all right, that looks good. I'll do it. And now I'm actually seeking them out. Uh, If it's like Kickstarter, I do a lot of those. On Steam, I've been doing that a lot more where I'll look up what's coming soon and see if I can find something along those lines. And then I'll wishlist it so that way I can make sure, hey, uh, you know, as soon as it goes on sale, I'll I'll, I'll purchase it from you. So that's definitely been something that is I've been doing much more proactively, seeking out indie developers and small teams. What I really love about like the the small team indie developers is that context that you get like you're saying with the game you played earlier with rihanna pratchett like knowing the story that goes into your game makes mm-hmm. the game so much richer a lot of times and you don't really get that with the bigger publishers that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of people all doing great work but it's hard to see what their individual stories are like stardew valley like you mentioned like you know that that guy just worked at a movie theater and just programmed in his spare time when he got home like knowing that and playing the game totally get that totally on board with that. you're also not just paying someone's paycheck you're like fueling someone's dream right. it's like they have yeah. always yep. wanted to do this and buying that game means so much to them which is wonderful exactly 
But what about you, Hassel? What makes you uh, dip into your pockets and buy an indie game? I would definitely say I'm more of kind of like a story nerd. Like if if a game has like a really cool story and then it has great writing to go with it, I'm in. Regardless of what that story might be. If like the writing is really good, I'm like, all right, solid. I talked about Xenu Adventure, I think it was like two weeks ago. And then I got to play it this Sunday with Jembe on stream. And mm-hmm. man, again, that writing, the writing for Xenu Adventure is so good. And then <laughs> like Jembe got to experience some of the sass of the game where like <laughs> she would click on like, hey, I'm going to throw this vine into the river. And then the game goes, in what world would that be useful? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, touche game. Touche. Um, I love it when a point and click has character like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then there's also other indie games like Hollow Knight had a great story behind it. It was yeah. so interesting because you don't necessarily know what happened throughout and what made the world the way that it is. So that also had a great story. Uh, I'm, I'm more of like a person who looks at the story and the writing on it. And I'm like, OK, this is what drives me to like seek out a good indie game. What about you, Troy? It's weird. I want it to be weird. Like uh, that's what catches my eye. If if and it doesn't matter how I see it. If, if it's um if it's an image and, I, and I'm just like I don't know what I'm looking at. Like this is so bizarre and interesting. Or if someone tells me about a game mechanic or something that's in it, I'm like I've never seen that in a game before. I'm like I'm in. Uh, uh, recently, I played a game called Dominique Pamplemousse. <laughs> and, and 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 someone just uh, recommended it because they're like, hey, it's a it, it's a musical like the game's a musical. I'm like, what do you mean? And then as I boot it up, it's a point and click adventure where the main character is singing everything that you click on. I'm, I'm like, this is phenomenal. Like, that's so beautiful. Um, at one point in, in, in the sequel, because there's two of them, um, the, the <laughs> developer even shows up and starts talking about their game in game like it breaks the fourth wall. You don't get a lot of that experimental stuff in the bigger games, and I love that. I played another game which was like this crude dating simulator where you're just these stick figures, and and like pretty much you play this whole adventure, and then towards the end you just start. Uh, uh, the developer just writes to you and is like, "Hey, I don't know how to end this game, so um, I'm just here. Thanks for playing, and um, and uh, try something else." And you just becomes like very honest and real, and. I think that that's what draws me in is that it gets so real with the development process. I'm a person who loves to see the absolute vision of the artist, regardless of whether it sells well or tropes or is going to generally be something that most people will like. Just the idea that someone had an idea, they executed it to the best of their abilities, and I get to receive that in its, in its entirety. I love yeah, that. that. Especially that last game you were talking about, Troy, the dating simulator. I yeah. loved how you went into the files and there's a read me in there. Yeah, and it so was earnest. it was basically it was just a letter to their friends because they thought that those were the only people who were going to play this game. Yeah. And it was just like, hey, this is a shout out to Zach and, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You know, I know you're going to say you're going to play this, but I know you're not going to. <laughs> and it's just like all this stuff. And it was so funny seeing all of this inside information from an oh, yeah. outside perspective. And in a video game form, it was hilarious. Yeah, they don't have all the different rules to like keep them back from doing something like that. So they just, yeah, just they just do it. And uh, I, I love that uniqueness. I think that's that's probably in a nutshell. 
uniqueness is what draws me to indie games. What was yeah, the name of have... that ghost dating simulator that you played where at the end it just essentially helped you with grieving and like accepting oh like the gosh. loss of someone? Yeah, no, I think that was just called uh, 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 ghost dating ghost simulator. Hold on, let me look it up. Let me get the actual name. Yeah, it yeah. was such a good game, but it's it's along those lines of just being a quirky, like really weird game, like where you're like, okay, I'm dating ghosts. Uh, it's called Speed Dating for Ghosts. Speed Dating for Ghosts. Yeah. You think it's a joke, and then you're like sobbing because it gets exactly. so real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indie games don't have shareholders or revenue targets, mm-hmm. so they don't have to do what is most popular. They can just do whatever they feel is like good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But but what about you, Joe? What brings you to indies? I am an all style, no substance kind of a person. <laughs> like I think it's beautiful that everyone here is very like you know like there's a there's just something out of the box about it. It's beautiful and it's unique. And for me, I literally just needed to look some some sort of cuteness or have an angry cloud in it. I don't mm. care. Like it, it just has to look like something I would like. And I will buy it, and I will play it most likely, and I may not like it, but I will love looking at it, so I will continue to play it until I'm done. So I, I love how indie games can try different styles of art and not have to worry about it. Like, they can make it just all pixels. They can make it just make things out of cardboard. They can make them stick figures, and, like, if that stick figure has two cute little eyeballs and maybe some angry eyebrows, it's got me. I'm in. Add a, pop angry eyebrows on that thing, and you can have my money. That's how this works. So all style, no substance. You could make crap and I will probably buy it. <laughs> I, I think indies actually saved pixel art for me because I'm not oh. a big pixel art fan. And the longer I've been following indies, the more indie games are. Th- I think they're making things with pixel art just to prove me wrong. Is I've just found like these <laughs> beautiful games that are just like made with completely, completely with pixels. But it was like, that's not at the forefront of what's popular right now. So you don't see a lot of people innovating in that area. But for someone who's just like, I'm good at pixel art and I want to make a game. So I'm just going to do this to the best of my ability right. and then they just make like this beautiful like I've seen like moving waterfalls or like haunted landscapes and things that I didn't think were possible with so few pixels and they're just like they're art in and of themselves it's so so amazing yeah it's like uh, before the one game is made for Joe all those other games is made in spite of Manda yeah is, made is to that... spite Manda yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like pixels really what about this oh what about this what, what about, this? about this I'm like oh fine <laughs> you're right <laughs> I think Lewis went through that as well. I, I remember uh, a long ago episode where we were discussing things and he was like, I hate pixel yeah. art. And then he started playing Moonlighter and he was like, man, this <gasps> game is so good. It, like, it, <laughs> yeah, it changed his entire perspective on what pixel art uh, is or can be. Yeah. Thank you, Indie yeah. Games. Yeah. And, and thank you, Manda, for that subject. That was a that was a very, very, very good. Money, money muscle, muscle, tasty, tasty topic. topic. Brought to you by Ciao. We Love Indies. Because <laughs> we do love indies here. We do love indies. That's very true. And now that brings us to our Dragon of the Week. It's the Dragon of the Week. Oh, it's so sweet. It's the Dragon of the Week. And it is a feat. Dragon of the Week. Dragon of the Week. Dragon of the Week is a segment where we shine a little light, show a little love to the video game industry and all the people who make games that we love to play. And bringing us our dragon this week is Troy. My dragon this week is the groundbreaking visionary Roberta Williams, an American video game designer, writer, and co-founder of Sierra Online, which has made the adventure games, Mystery House, Phantasmagoria, and, as we all probably know it best amongst us, 
the King's Quest series. Ooh. Whoa. Hey, do y'all want to know a little secret? You want to know a little secret about, about Roberta? Yes. Yeah. She never yeah. intended to even work in the games industry. Like, it was... <laughs> what? It was not even on her radar. Oops. Shut uh, it down. Shut the podcast <laughs> down right now. Is, is her college major ceramics or something like that? Tell me Tell me something weird. No, because she didn't go yeah. to college. Ah. Whoa. <laughs> Respect. A lot of times we cover dragons who go to college for game design or go to college for programming or even just go to college for pottery but end up becoming, you know, games industry people. Mm-hmm. But not Roberta. When Roberta graduated high school in the 70s, she was like, nah, I just want to party and get married. Not particularly in that order. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you, she went on to do so much to change the games industry as we know it. Uh, in her words, describing herself, uh, she was a shy, timid, only child. Uh, because of that, Williams developed a wild imagination. She would make up elaborate stories, which she called movies, in quotations, and would actually share them to entertain her family. Something that I did as a child, but I don't know. It wasn't stories. It was more just like, look at me. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to do stuff, and you all are going to watch. <laughs> as a teenager, Roberta was a big-time reader who loved getting absorbed in books that transported her away to more exciting places. When she was 17, Roberta met her husband, Ken Williams, who was actually 16 at the time. In her words, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't really like who I was. Not at all. When I met Ken, he was very straight, very responsible. He was working from the time he was 12 and was really good at whatever he did. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do anything but party. Boom. She got married at 19. (laughs) boom she has two children and boom just like that roberta became that i don't know is a typical brady bunch 70s housewife um you know dinners on the table husband's working at ibm raising two kids diapers all that stuff oh i see her in (laughs) you saw the ibm all right (laughs) i see you so because he worked at ibm and he was a, a a pretty big programmer they had a lot of technology just in their home um, their very first computer was actually a teletype machine, which is pretty much like a typewriter on steroids. <clears throat> this is the 70s. So imagine like a regular typewriter, no screen. You type onto the paper and then it travels through whatever the 70s version of the internet is. It's like, I don't know, terminals and stuff. And then stuff gets typed back to you and you read it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's like Morse code, but without all the work. But with words. Yeah, without the words. So obviously, with this groundbreaking, world-changing technology, people obviously used it for the most pressing of purposes. Playing games, (laughs) y'all. Playing games. The earliest text-based adventures were happening by this line-by-slowly-transmitted-line format. And you would just have to use your imagination to like fill in on those blanks because there's no screens, there's nothing to look at. So people who had these tele these teletypewriters would be just be like, "What?" There's a funny quote from this guy from MIT in the '70s that said that when these typewriter games were discovered, it set the entire computer industry back two weeks. Because <laughs> everyone's like, "I'm not getting any work done. I won't yeah. play this game." <laughs> Yo. The nerds went cray, and Roberta was one of those awesome nerds. Uh, She took it one step further, though, and decided to write her own game. But her idea 
was to add pictures. In her words about playing these games, she was like, I just couldn't stop. It was compulsive. I started playing it and kept playing. I had a baby at the time who was eight months old. I totally ignored them. (laughs) I didn't want to be bothered. (laughs) I I didn't want to be bothered. I didn't want to make dinner. I didn't just wanted to play this game. So she talked to her husband about like just how into this new form of of gaming was. Together, uh, she convinced her husband to like help her make this game because she wanted to make one of these games. So he he brought home this fancy bit of technology called the Versa Writer, which is like a, a, a this big arm that pretty much digitizes hand drawn images into a computer. I'm gonna pause right here to say that I love the '70s names for all of this. Tech. <laughs> oh yeah, because it all sounds so futuristic. It's all like, ooh, this is what 2020 is gonna look like. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> teletype versa writer. 2020 is um, too far. It's like, ooh, this is what 2000 is gonna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. this is what 1985 is gonna be like. <laughs> so in return, she took this. And then got to work writing and then presented him with a murder mystery story comprised of more than a hundred different scenes and locations, which is dozens more than any game had done that she had played through this teletype machine before. But she added this other idea. How about since I'm drawing the pictures on the on the computer, we just play this game. I don't know. On the Apple computer. What if we just played it on the computer? Whoa. Of course. <laughs> and he's like, that's a that's a great idea. <laughs> so Where other developers at that time made games from a place of programming first, Roberta, with her limited coding ability, like I said, she didn't, she wasn't a programmer. Um, She actually started making games thinking about the story, the narrative, the sketching ideas first, which just wasn't happening at that time. At this point, it was common for programmers to also design their games. They would code it and they would create the artistic stuff. Though Roberta knew her way around the computer, she hadn't mastered more than like a couple basic tricky early programming stuff. So her design process necessitated a division of labor that was in its own way radical. It was separating game design and game programming, which is something we still see to today. And that wasn't Mm -hmm. happening yet. The idea that you could separate it and have people who were skilled, people who were technically skilled flourish on both sides. She used her outsider perspective to her benefits. She didn't know enough about computers to know what they couldn't do. So she continually pressed the limits of what it could do or in her household, as far as she could push the limits of what her husband's programming skills could do. (laughs) Because yes, in this equation, her husband was the coder and she was the dreamer. I'm going to write a modern fantasy novel called The Coder and the Dreamer. Just going to say that right now. It's going to be good. It's going to be an eight-book series. Uh, are you going to write a- it on the teletype? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you... <laughs> oh, crap. Hey, Manda, could you could you program it for me? <laughs> uh... And then it's going to be published on Webtoons. <laughs> <laughs> Coming for you, Laura Olympus. Um, between 1979 and 1980, the Williams finalized their first humble game, Mystery House, but they needed packaging to sell it. So Roberta found herself at a grocery store with a shopping cart full of Ziploc bags, which she then coupled with a photocopied sheet of paper with the title and art on it. Aww. They had placed an ad for Mystery House in a scientific computer magazine, and the orders started streaming in y'all it worked it worked their phone was ringing at all hours 
because all hours because they, it was their home number that they put in as the oh, help no. line. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! It's just the two of them. So literally all day their phone was going off. Um, from the start, Roberta and Ken's primary goal to, when they got into this business was to be was to make money. They 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 weren't necessarily getting into this being like we have this huge vision. They think it was cool, but they're also like this is maybe a really good way to make some dough. And and their their goal was to actually get a house in the woods. That was like their their modest goal. But after selling 10,000 copies of the game, they realized they had tapped into something way bigger. In just a few years, their little game would go on to spawn, as we now know, a billion-dollar gaming empire and make them household names. Within five months, they were on the road to their new home in Yosemite Mountains in California, but they didn't exactly settle for, like, the simple life. Instead, they founded Sierra Online, Sierra Adventures. They made the game company and immediately got work on more more games, always with Roberta as the writer and designer and then Ken, her husband, as the programmer. They followed up Mystery House with Wizard and the Princess, which is the first full-color game ever. Wow. Another first. That's so cool. It sold 60,000 copies and paved the way to spawn the King's Quest series of adventure games, which is kind of, when I think of Sierra Online, King's Quest is the first series that pops into my brain. It, Mm -hmm. um, It was like Monkey Island and King's Quest were the two like funny, smart adventure games of like the late 80s, early 90s. It went on to sell seven like million copies, and you know, cemented her in the era as the ultimate adventure game hit maker. And she was literally the queen of adventure games. So as they grew, the Williams hired more people and designers, coders, programmers. Her husband said, "I'll say it as him." When Sierra started, it was a very different world from what we live in today. Floppy disks were just being invented. A little bit of software that was being sold was shipped on audio cassette. Most products didn't have packaging. There was no computer magazines beyond a few hand-typed newsletters. This worked in our favor. At the time, we were 26 and 25-year-old kids with no experience about running a business. In today's competitive world, we wouldn't have survived six months. But at the time, we could get away with horrible packaging. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and giving no thought whatsoever to things like brand image. At the time, I don't even think we had much more strategy than to just have fun. And that's where Roberta really started running with. She started to push her storylines in things in ways that she found would be fun. And she pushed it in new directions by having some of the first strong female characters. In King's Quest IV, The Perils of Rosella, the title character usurps the main, the traditional male lead, Sir Graham, to become, yes, the first female protagonist in a graphic adventure. Wow. It was a bold move. This is 1988, and she wasn't sure if she could pull it off because it hadn't been done in the industry where you have a girl heroine yet. She was worried about it. It was worried if it was going to be accepted. The game did have, maybe it would have controversy with guys writing and being like, I don't want to be a girl. I have an issue. But you know what? The game was an instant hit, selling 100,000 copies in the first two weeks. Fan mail poured in, most of it from women who, who Sierra estimated made up 40% of its players. Encouraged by the reactions from their fans, which were women, like so a lot of them were actually women in their 40s saying, like, thank you for like not overlooking us. You know, Aww. like we're here, keep making That's games. Awesome. I read a couple of these and they were just really, really uh inspirational. Encouraged from the reaction uh from the fans, Roberta made the Colonel's Bequest, starting Lara Bow, which is a determined student of journalism and a fan of detective <laughs> series. They made the King's Quest 7, the Princess Bride, where players have the option of not one, but 
two female leads. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> One woman designer from their company noted that, yes, we are making a lot of female characters, but not to say that there aren't female characters in other games. On the contrary, there were lots of hypersexualized damsels in distress and chainmail bikini babes. At that time, Leisure Suit Larry was coming out, and the female characters easily outweighed the male characters in that game, which would be fine if the entire point of the game wasn't to, like, have sex with all of them as many as possible. It all came to a head in 1995 when Sierra released its most ambitious game yet, and The Jewel, Roberta's favorite game that she made called Phantasmagoria. It was the world's, <clears throat> yes, first live-action video game, which used real actors on a computer-designed 3D backdrop. The script was 550 pages long and it was a horror story um and it was graphic had a disturbing plot they pretty much producing it was like making a movie it cost 1.5 million hollywood grade dollars <laughs> to and two years actors musicians they even got a neo-gregorian choir into this um, the original budget was 800000 but it ended up costing actually up to $4.5 to produce the first live-action video game, a graphic adventure game. But good news is, when it came out, it made $12 million. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I guess it's okay. So it was great. I'm not good at math, but I can figure that out. <laughs> More than any other designer at Sierra, Roberta's games were heavily marketed with her name on it. You know how they do, like, Tom Clancy's this and Sid Meier's mm -hmm. that? It was Roberta Williams' you know, Phantasmagoria. And uh, mm -hmm. her name was prominently displayed on the packaging, who also hadn't happened with women in the industry. But soon after Phantasmagoria was released, the computer game industry underwent a drastic change. It was the rise of the fast-paced action racing shooting games of the mid-90s. You got your Doom. You got your Duke Nukem. You got your Quake. And um, they noticed how it gave birth to a more hostile exclusionary, hyper-masculine game culture. Roberta herself lamented the change. Um, she said, I haven't seen it this bad in all my years of writing games. She's, she said in 1998, there was just a dearth of games for women, and she had never seen the shelf so empty. By this point, though, the Williams, they had retired. Roberta designed 18 original games and pioneered a number of firsts in the industry, she and her husband, Ken, sold Sierra in 1996 to CompuCard in a deal that soon revealed to be actually one of the biggest financial frauds in U.S. history. I'll save you the details. Like, nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with them. It, it, in short, it turns out that CompuCard didn't have uh, the money to buy them, but um, oh. made it seem like they did. Ruh row <laughs> And uh, a lot of things went wrong there. But... Eventually, um, Activision picked up Sierra. And so right now, currently, Activision owns Sierra, which is why we got that King's Quest game a couple years ago, Mandy, which was my introduction to King's amazing. Quest. And it was, so was it was really amazing. They, they made a lovely game that was both nostalgic to the original titles, but also forged a new path with Christopher Lloyd as like the, the main character. Fantastic. Roberta hasn't designed any other commercial game since. But that's okay because her and Ken own like a bunch of homes and yachts and spend all of their time traveling the world. Like they regularly. Have they been to Tsushima? <laughs> yeah, they're on their way. They probably have like 10 times already. <laughs> they have a house in Tsushima, actually. <laughs> they actually own the island of Tsushima. <laughs> Roberta Williams, Tsushima. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> 
Um, her husband even has his own blog designated for buying yachts, not traveling <laughs> on yachts, not upkeeping yachts, a blog for buying yachts. Uh, <laughs> despite this, um, the state of Sierra Entertainment Studio does bum her out when she talks about it. She left the company in a really great standing, and now it's more or less kind of dead in the water. They yeah. didn't own any of the rights to any of their games they created either. <gasps> oh. They sold them all. When it comes to her game fame and her legacy, she she has been noted to be a little hesitant to be known as the first female game designer this and the first female that. She has stated that she prefers to just be seen professionally as a game designer because she believes when she goes into the design mode that there's no gender involved with her. And while it's sad to see her company in the pits, for a woman who said when she was younger, yo, I just want to party. I think she did pretty darn great with her life. <laughs> I think she's doing all the partying now. She is. Her husband owns a blog about buying yachts. I think she's yeah. doing a good amount of partying. There are no now. shortage of parties. All of this groundbreaking, yeah. this iconicness was all just a long form way to get to this like nonstop <laughs> party more parties. The world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Hashtag goals, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Founder, designer, author, world traveler. Roberta Williams, my Dragon of the Week. Dragon of the Dragon Week. Of the week. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I, I loved Sierra Online. I've, I've talked about this before on the podcast. I used mm. to get the magazine in the mail really? with all of the stuff in it. Yeah, Sierra Online magazine oh. had the police quests in it. It had uh, all the all those other things in it. I uh, yeah. I, as soon as you said who it was, I was like, oh, I know who, exactly who this oh, is. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> the name sounded so familiar to me that I was like, I need to Google her right now, and I just did. And it's because I watched her in that Netflix documentary series, High Score. Oh. There's an yeah. entire episode dedicated to her and her husband. Oh, or I think it's like oh, maybe like half an episode or it's like it's it's a pretty big chunk of the episode that's dedicated to them. I got to go find mm-hmm. that. I got to go finish watching that. And um, Brian, the good news is, is like, yeah, this is one half of the Sierra Online equations. And he has enough stories to make his own dragon of the week one day. So <laughs> that's awesome. Very cool couple. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Troy. Unfortunately, though, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Boom, 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 boom. Wow. But you can always find us online. To continue the conversation, you can check us out here on Twitter for indie game updates, on Instagram for updates and silly images, on Discord for daily discussions, and on Twitch for live gaming and just chatting every day of the week we are at taste of dragons everywhere and we'd love to hear from you thank you troy but we uh we still have one final thing we have to do this week which is our beeb of the week our gemma of the week if you will which is where we bring uh, uh, one of our favorite comments of the week on the stream and this week joe's going to bring it to us so this week's Beeb of the Week is brought to us by a person who has many a Beeb of the Week. I think we might need to start challenging the name. It's it's becoming a, a regular here. But Disco Frog wrote, I thought I heard there was a ballerina Barbie zombie. It was kind of everything because it got me to look up because I was just listening. And I was like, what? what? Ballerina Barbie? What? And then having the guys explain that there was actually a prancing, pirouetting ballerina Barbie zombie chasing them was phenomenal. Disco Frog heard correctly. <laughs> yes. I knew Mattel was rebranding, but whoa. <laughs> right? Darn. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Disco Frog, for making a smile this week. We really, really appreciate you for being our Beeb of the Week. Aw, uh, yeah. 
And as always, my name is Brian. My name is Troy. Amanda. I'm Hassel. And I'm Joe. And we are the, the Taste, Taste of Dragons. Dragons. Have a great week, everyone. Anybody here want stickers? Who wants stickers out there? <laughs> Everybody. We, want some merch. we have all the stickers. We gotta, we we gotta get the merch out. Later, Later everybody. Start up FIFA. Do you want that merch? Taste of Dragons Gaming Podcast, a podcast for everyone's day.